it's probably one of those underrated aspects of company culture, company onboarding and all the rest of it. Because when you think about it, it's like it's like a uniform and it's yeah. also like you're in the group. It's like wearing a football, like wearing a Ranger shirt when you're going to Gla- into Ibrox or whatever. Or if you're walking in Glasgow and you're wearing a, sh- a Ranger shirt versus a Celtic top, that immediately identifies how your experience is gonna gonna be in Glasgow, right? So I think that we in generally have neglected merchandising because we think, yeah, it's cool, but it's rubbish, really, it's trivial. But I think it could actually be a bit more important than we, we realize. Uh, maybe an important part of you know, tribal affiliation goes down to, um, you know, way back when, when we when we were at like even street gangs, right? They wear different colors, they wear different things. It's, it's important. And you though. think we, so you, you say, you're saying we should bring this into recruitment tech, right? So that, uh, yep. Well, I'm, uh, like I, I de- so that I'm head to toe in ISIMs and they're basically, uh, what is like an anti, an anti work day sentiment or it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> Everyone should be in uniform in some way. Maybe in a, in other words, basically we don't wear swag because it's not cool enough, and it's usually not the right size or the right fit. It's the generic, you know, a small, medium, large. It's actually not very inclusive when you think about it, um, because if you're if you're if you're bigger than average or smaller than average, you know, um, it, you know certain things are not going to fit with, with you. So, you know, hopefully we can get to the point where we could do a bit more personalization of it. Get something that's actually nice that you're going to wear then yeah i mean yeah but you've got to go like that what you're what you're saying is like marketing teams need to contact hugo boss for example and try and get them to like collaborate on the new isims hugo boss range uh no they're gonna gonna say no but have you seen the amount of stuff that gets thrown out by fashion houses um so so there's a lot of excess so you don't have to go uber spec there's lots of stuff that never gets sold because the sizing is not popular or because it's out of fashion, out of season, whatever, but the quality might still be there. So I just wonder whether you could grab some of that rather than have it go to a landfill. You know what I mean? Well, um, I'll tell you some styling that I really, really love, and we don't have it enough. But do you remember like back in the 80s when there was cars with the like martini logos on them? <laughs> like, you know, you know, you get an Audi with a martini logo on it, stuff like that. We don't make enough of vehicles and uh, enough like loads of badges and like big gearish jackets with loads of badges. I mean, somebody like you or Bill Berman could wear a jacket that's got like 20 different sponsors on it just to go to your events and get paid a lot of money for it. Bas van der Hattart, my good friend Bas van der Hattart, um, we actually had this conversation um, and I kind of, kind of said to him, that should be a component of what he does um, because um, basically he does an event whereby Obviously, he he's a, he's the MC, he's, the, he's he's all those types of things. But at the same time, um, he is a person that is, um, you know, I, as a money making idea. I was thinking, why don't you just like spend half the day wearing company A swag? You can charge for that as you're walking around the event, and then second half of the day wear someone else's swag, and you charge for that. Um, to have the MC or the owner of the event walk around with a bit of swag, I think that's worth money. If you're, if you're sponsoring a stand or you're doing something, let's look at the biggest one, Unleash, right? Um, yeah. Mark Coleman, you get him to wear a T-shirt for half a day. That's, that's as worth as much as a stand that you might put on uh, uh, sort of and, and spend X amount of money on, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah agreed. Anyway, let's uh, let's get on with the conversation. We're talking about swag, folks. So we kind of look as if we are wearing bits of swag everywhere. But 
Um, uh, Bain Proof Bake Fresh is the show where we review the newsletter from yesterday. So if you haven't read it already, um, you're welcome to do that on uh, recruitingbrainfood.com or newsletters.recruitingbrainfood.com. Um, it's the latest episode. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a bit economics heavy, some AI in there, some interesting topics as well. Uh, and today we're going to talk about it. So if you haven't read it, you can just follow on with our chat as well. So anyway, um, Adam, I know you always read it. Um, so how did it go and what was interesting for you, man? Uh, well, I, I don't think a week's gone by where I haven't talked about uh, like something to do with distributed work and that type of thing. Another report. I enjoyed this one. It's absolutely crammed with like data. And uh, is it data people? Is that what they're called? Data people, yeah. Data people. Right. They looked at 30 million job posts from 2019 onwards, um, included 1,000 employees using 122 different applicant tracking systems to build this information. Um, I'm going to select a couple of bits of summary. So remote working, as we know, has grown a lot. They say it's grown 400% since uh, 2019. Four out of five companies are now offering either remote or hybrid, which I'll come back to in a second. Um, so it is now five times more than it was pre-pandemic. And one in six people in North America are working either hybrid or remote. And it's only one in 10 in Europe. So interesting that it has grown faster in North America than it has in Europe couple of small, really trivial things that annoy me, but I'm just going to say it because it happens a lot. They have had to give almost a description of what hybrid means mm. because the amount of people talking about a company as a hybrid working company when what they're trying to say is some people are remote and other people are not. And that's not what hybrid means. It means you can work from home sometimes, but you have to be in the office sometimes. So well, hybrid is not hybrid's not what some people are using it to describe there's, there's disputation on, on on that though i mean that's the thing we haven't had an industry agreement in fact rob long uh who i'm not sure he's watching this he's a chro workable is like on a, on a on a me to try and say right let's get together and try and define you know what these flavors are so that you know we actually can create some sort of shared understanding but absolutely when people talk about hybrid you know, does it mean that individual everyone has the ability to work in office and remote or does it mean actually you split the organization in some way and some people are fully remote and some people are fully on site or are there certain departments that have the option of going in and out and certain departments are always in certain departments are always out we, we actually don't know we need new terminology to describe all of this stuff um so uh, so yeah difficult but the report is amazing just on that addendum the reason why it's amazing most reports are from survey data the most reports i do are from you know let's ask adam what he thinks about this um, but the reason why I love this report is it's not asking um, about what people uh, think they're doing. It's actually about what they are doing. So in other words, do they apply more to jobs that are remote? Answer is yes, times two more to percentile increase of applicant rate. Um, that's tracked through um, their, their tracking of job boards and tracking of ATSs and so on and so forth. So it's really solid data and it's like massive. It tracks uh, from 2019 onwards to, to today, this should, not today, but 2022. So you can really trace um, how the world of work has changed through job postings. Yep. 
Uh, oh, one other thing that annoys me, and I, I've seen that I saw it a couple. I actually saw it a couple of times in that thing. Was um, they talk about the US and Canada on one one hand, and on the other hand, they talk about the UK and Europe, as if as if the UK is suddenly not in Europe. I think we need to we need it's, to remember the UK is still in Europe. It's just not in the yeah, European yeah. Union. But I think it's not a different I'm, thing. It's elevating. It, it's artificially I'm, escalating the status of of. Uh, the UK says deserves as much attention as the rest of Europe. I agree. I agree. There's there's that hierarchy which is incorrect, but I also believe with the exit of the UK from the EU, that's what the Americans generally mean. Um, and it, I think Europe is EU, like synonymously for people in North America, um, and in fact, it is mm -hmm. the synonymously for a lot of people in the UK as well. So, so yeah, so what's Switzerland and Norway. I don't think they're big enough to think about, to be honest with you. And that's no disrespect to Switzerland and Norway. Um, the, the UK has an outsized uh, cultural imprint due to empire and everyone speaking English and so on and, and so the forth. The Beatles. Um, and yeah, big cultural power it is still one of the, I think, top eight in terms of GDP and all this type of stuff. Even though it's declining... number, number one globally for soft, for soft power, I believe. It is. And, and that's all legacy of power. That's all legacy of empire. It's all legacy of speaking English, you know. Um, it, must, and it must be down after the last few days. It must be down. I, I think the soft power is still there, but although laughing stock wise, it's, it, I think we're, we've lost Number credibility. One. We've lost credibility, even though we've had uh, increased the, 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 the soft power influence is still there, but it's now kind of like this is negative in a sense we're, we're ridiculed uh and deservedly so you can't yeah you, you can't observe uh the political scenario and and not uh and not sort of um share in 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 in, in the ridicule it's like yeah yeah it, it, hands up this is benny hill benny hill yep. time yeah yep. okay um let's talk about nyla boone so Nyla, Nyla Boone oh. um, is a contractor tech in the tech industry, was working at Apple uh, and seems to be um, innocently looking at just trying to help other black females understand that they too could be working in uh, big tech companies doing exciting things. Um, but she got, she got her contract discontinued early after putting three TikToks up, just kind of um, diarizing really yeah. what she's been doing. However, I think she has subsequently said, no, these two things are not connected. I didn't actually get my contract terminated because of that. Uh, so anyway, I think we've got to be, we're just going to be careful about what we do. I, I really believe if we want to diarize like what we're doing and stuff like that, it's probably worthwhile just getting the ground rules agreed with your employer and getting them to agree it, or else you could end up if you if I described iSIMS with one word wrong, then there's a possibility if mm. they had like a real militant kind of you know comms team that I could get into trouble. So yeah. um, you know, it's a uh, it's a challenging issue. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's one of those where you can't criticize either party. You can understand both parties on this, um, especially Apple, which has super secretive and on-site stuff. 
um uh, you know a lot of their product people are a lot you know it's, it's i remember the story a couple of years ago where they had to check in phones and stuff like this because in certain product areas because they can't take pictures can't take video um and most of the silicon valley is like that i remember going to facebook a couple of times um and a friend of mine said listen these areas you can't take photos and video um because people's working on computer screens here is the place where you can do that and that's the common area so i think this lady here um probably um might have kind of breached some of those things um but it leads to a wider question for you know, how do you deal with employee generated content that you want to be authentic you want them to, to feel free to do it but at the same time like there has to be some guardrails and there has to be some controls because you know, you, you don't, you don't necessarily, there's certain things that you have to take care of as your brand. Um, yeah. so, so I can, I can understand both sides on it. And, uh, the thing was scandalized initially think what, whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's probably a middle ground that we could all fare. We all care about day in life. I think that's a really good way to show culture, the business and actually to educate people as to what it is to work in this situation. You know, uh, if, if you're, you're, you're a senior exec of a HR tech firm, actually i don't know what that looks like um and if you're able to do 60 second video with no confidentiality issues that you're preaching it was actually quite interesting you know the educational yeah. to say this is how you work as a senior exec so yeah i've got to find a way hopefully you know a way that uh, is right legally and right ethically so uh, but anyway interesting case to, to think about yeah uh okay um to another one that's really really challenging um from researchers at the Distributed AI Research Institute. This was covered in a magazine called Noema, which I haven't come across before, published by the Berggruen Institute. And it is the, uh, the exploited labor behind artificial intelligence. Now, what it's talking about is effectively, look, AI is, there, there are hidden problems with AI here. And one of those hidden problems is that there's a lot of services and products out there claiming to be artificial intelligence, where in actual fact, there are humans getting effectively, it's like the galley on the ship, the slave galley on the ship from like crossing the Atlantic back in, you know, 300 years ago, there's people getting uh, told to input tons and tons and tons of data to make it appear to be an artificial intelligence program or to get the AI actually trained at the beginning and they're getting yeah. really badly paid to do this repetitive work, which is literally mind numbing and soul crushing. Yeah, this is this is training data. So the things like data labeling is classically human driven. So in other words, the reason why AI can tell that that's a cat and not a dog uh, is because there's tons of people looking at cat videos and dog videos and saying dog, cat, dog, cat, dog, cat over over time. Um, and obviously that's like mentally very tough. Um, but it's an example of, you know, these magical solutions that people who are consuming AI related services, which is basically us people in the rich part of the world, um, uh, the global north, so to speak. Um, uh, but it's powered by the labor, the sweat uh, of people who uh, don't have access to uh, the output of it. So they're the input, we're the output. And it's almost like you take it from a, a global perspective, it looks very much like a, a replication of a colonial uh, sort of relationship, um, you know, where very poor people have to do really tough work and very rich people don't 
understand that that's the case and enjoy their nice things. And you look at things that we enjoy. I just had a nice coffee, had a nice chocolate with it. Colonial products, mate. When we're drinking that coffee, you know, we didn't ever think, oh, where was that picked or who who did who actually you know roasted that or who ground it and all the rest of it. Generally, poor people from global south. Anyway, and it's it's it, it it's it's all about AI ethics, right? So it's look it's looking at right. Hang on a second. These individual these are individuals doing work, but they are being treated like robots. They are literally being treated like robots, and if they can't go fast enough, then you know you they're, they're in trouble and get someone else exactly. But it also goes on to another element of AI ethics, which is like to do with delivery drivers and people haven't assigned like biometric consent forms in order to be effectively monitored around what they're what they're doing. So it comes it's kind of a bit like bossware that we talked about uh, last week. But here they don't have the power to say no because they uh, they have different employment contracts or they have different. I mean, all of these stuff like facial recognition, is, it's got to be trained on this data, I'm afraid to say. And it is a tough one to think about. Like, how do you, how do, how are we fair about it? Um, and and it, it is us trying to be fair actually a privileged position to take? Because what if we say, oh, we aren't doing this, it's unethical. And all of these people suddenly don't have work to do. Um, you know, what is their alternative to this? Presumably, they've made a decision to, to get into this work because the other options weren't as good. Yeah. Um, so it's not as straightforward. It's the same when we're looking at clothing, you know, fast fashion and all this stuff. Lots of people work very hard, even mobile phones, people working, you know, Foxconn working really hard putting these things together. We can say, yeah, it's unethical. But like if we decided, oh, we're not going to bother doing that, then those people will probably be working equally hard, if not harder jobs, um, doing something else. It's it, it's it's an inequality in terms of how the, the world has been for the past 500 years. So, you know, it's, it's a difficult one to make local decisions and, and know, uh, you know, which outcome is going to be best. So um, I want to talk about Jose Cadillac's... Um... LinkedIn post about, yeah. I think it was entitled fire your HR marketer because AI can do it all for you. Um, <laughs> it was hiring. I mean, it was, it was focused on the concept of text to image. So you type in what you're looking for and an image gets created, which is completely unique. You know, nobody can claim copyright on it. You've, you've built that it's unique content that you can use for whatever purpose. I mean, you know, as you know, I'm interested in this particular area. There are products like Jasper, which already offer that. So Jasper will allow you to put in some words around what you're looking for, and it'll write your blog, or it'll write your website, or it'll do whatever, including build you an image. That's also something you can do within Jasper. It's like, uh, democratizing the, we've all seen the deep fake kind of thing where you can build a video which has Donald Trump, you know, saying something that he didn't actually ever say, or getting yep. somebody else to to do that. And you know, mm-hmm. we all we all know that that can be done. And we probably think that it takes like, you know, people in dark rooms, scientists, you know, to do that. You could build images right now on multiple different uh, platforms that. You don't have to pay very much to use. So have you done it? You have you tried any of these uh, uh, sort of text image gener- generators? Not only have I not only have I tried it, um, I have several customers 
who are using it um, to um, develop images for their like candidate marketing, their nurture marketing. So they've got to create images of people that don't work for their company because if that person leaves or gets fired or whatever, they don't want to have to redo it at some point in the future. They also don't want to get stock images, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. normally models and stuff that are unrepresentative. So Mm -hmm. they're able to build images of like ordinary looking people who don't actually work for their organization, but they're not, it's not those stock images of models that everybody thinks ridiculous. And they're not even people. They're just literally auto-generated. Nope. It's it's yep. absolutely fascinating. And yep. I think we needed something like this to, to tell us that the world is going to be changed by AI. And this is just very real. I've started using AI-generated images on my presentations when I used to give talks. I've stopped doing them now. But um, uh, back in the day, the last couple of talks I did was basically AI-generated because I couldn't be asked with copyright. I couldn't be asked trying to source images and then there's a there's a watermark on it as a getty images or whatever and then you've got to source that and you think you know what actually i just wanted a pretty picture just to say is to to, to to kind of give emphasis to a point you can type it in um to something like dali and it will generate something out there that yeah that's kind of nearly there um so it is um truly interesting Jose, obviously, uh, I think I love his, I love the provocation. I, I, I love his you know, style of like, yeah, this is going to change everything. Probably won't change everything, but it will definitely come for AI. AI is coming for creativity, man. Um, oh, yeah. It's coming for creativity. Um, it's not there yet, but lots of things that we need to get sorted that needs like someone who's great on Photoshop or great doing this, that, and the other. We're pretty close, I think, to getting um, a tool which can just generate it based on uh, sort of English language command. Yeah. Okay. Um, so meta, I can't remember what it's called, the term, but meta appears to have been able to develop a system for so that people that don't speak the same language can just get on a meeting and talk to each other. Yeah, crazy. Ba- Babelfish? I call it, it Babelfish, yeah. I mean, yeah. My t- I don't know whether you've read um, Hikaka's Guide. Yeah. Great, great, great sort of novel, obviously, but one of the key uh, sort of ways in which the aliens communicate with each other were, was this species of fish that they stuck in each other's ears. Um, yeah. And it would do an auto translation so that aliens could speak to each other. And that for me was always the measure as to what scientific progress would really be, like astonishing scientific progress. Um, and it looks like Meta have done something very similar. I mean, just watched a video. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is speaking in English, uh, but that's almost close to real time, translating it into Hokkien, which is a, uh, one of the Chinese languages out there. And the dude he's speaking to doesn't speak English. So he can listen to it in Hokkien. He's responded to Hokkien and he's coming out with English. So Zuckerberg can then have that conversation back. And it's like, whoa, man, that's crazy. What are the implications for the workforce and recruitment if this is real? I mean, if this if this if this doesn't have problems, such as it goes wrong, and instead of me uh, like saying "Hello, nice to meet you," it comes up with "Hey, you got nice legs," you know. That's a, future, like, that's, that's a future hack, by the way. Someone's going to hack it and then insert that type of controversy in, no doubt. Um, but yeah, to your point, I, I think if it's still sort of if it's as accurate as we've seen language barrier disappears surely right it's like well huge implications for recruitment and i mean now people can work from anywhere that's great now they don't even need to be able to speak your language 
Yeah. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And and not not comfortable for everyone, by the way, because still when you're thinking about the folks that are trying to protect their positions and stuff, it's like, look, time zone's got to be right. English language has got to be there. Communication's got to be there, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have a tool that can legitimately translate what the person's saying in real time, then yeah, I think you know that any job can be done anywhere to a large degree, um, yep. and it's a further expansion of this. Like I say, it's a further redistribution of opportunity. And how can you oppose that? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, um, let's. We're banging them through them here pretty quickly, aren't we? Um, right. Let's talk Good about pace. angel angel lists, um, early stage venture report. Mm-hmm. Uh, Q3, so the lowest level of venture performance that AngelList has ever tracked uh, in 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 a in a Q3, it was down from Q2 for pre-seed seed all the way through to Series C, and this does not surprise me because there is a considerable amount of reluctance to pull the trigger on investment. And when I say investment, I did I don't mean just investing in companies. I mean investing in services. I mean investing in new people. I mean the amount of my my observation is that the world has slowed a lot. And it's going to be, I mean it already is disastrous for a lot of companies. A lot of jobs. And this is a real doom and gloom monologue from me here. No, it's not doom and gloom. It's simple, accurate, accurate reflection of what's going on. And I think we all felt it. It's worth looking at this report, folks. I know it's all funding and it might be a bit dry for a lot of recruiters, um, but it's very accessible. Um, and all they're saying is, look, the volume of deals. In other words, the number of early stage investments has crashed down. Um, the the size of investments have stayed the same. Um, but the distribution of where those investments are has also altered, uh, meaning that a lot of the VCs um, are thinking, you know what, this world can only go in in a tougher sledding for the, for the next foreseeable. Let's keep the powder dry for the time being. Uh, let's invest in those uh, segments that are doing something that they can really bank on. I, I like that insight that they produce, which is the frontier tech businesses are the businesses that seem to be getting an uptick in funding frontier tech meaning green technology new yeah. material science synthetic biology um things that you can say you know what 10 30, 20 years down the line that's going to be massive uh but it's not like hey let's pump something up in two years and sell it quick because i don't think that's, that's a timeline anymore um it's really interesting implication and as recruiters it's going to be you know you can't you can't sugarcoat it it's you know that the happy days of just you know uh, every other day there's a unicorn and every other day there's thousands of jobs being made in these unicorns, I think is, uh, is, is over. We're looking at a different world now. Yeah. So a couple of like parallel insights um, from um, AngelList in that report. Payroll um, for these companies from, it's like pre-seed through to, I think it was Series B. Mm-hmm. Um, Series C wasn't included. Um, payroll for these companies is down. Um, 
of those companies that did take funding took it at a valuation increase, which sounds great, but that means 37% did a down round. More than one in three reduced the value of their business in order to take funding. All right. So, I mean, so for, the, for the people who aren't familiar with the terminology, can you explain what a down round is and you know, why, what, what yeah, does that mean? You've, yeah. So you've gone, so you do have seed round, you rate, you value your company at a million dollars and you do a seed round, you take $200,000 and your post money valuation is therefore the 1 million you started with plus the 200,000 you've got. So your valuation is 1.2 million. You go to do a, uh, so that's your pre-seed round. You then go to do a seed round but guess what? The investors go, no, your company's not worth 1.2 million. Your company's worth 900 grand. So I will give you 300,000 at a 900 grand pre-money valuation, which means that after I've put in my 300,000, your company is worth 1.2 million, the same as it was after the first round. So you've done a down round because the original investors and you as the founder, your shares are all worthless. So... I mean, worth, it's, it's worth less, not worthless. Yeah, worth, worth less. less. <laughs> it is. They might be worthless, but um, be, yeah. you'd hope not if you're actually get even at a down round. Somebody's investing. But um, the, the the point here is that it's it's like really bad news to be doing a down round. It's, yep. it's a bad signal for your company. And over a third of the companies were actually, you know, doing it on a on a down round. Yeah, and um, you'd never you'd never do it unless you had to. So, so in other words, you don't do a down round unless you needed the funding to keep going. Um, if you were going tough sledding, you wouldn't raise it on a down round. But if you could survive on revenue, for instance, or you, or you had enough runway, companies at that stage don't survive on revenue. They they don't have enough revenue to be able to pay for many people. Like, I mean, when I say many, I mean like more than three. They're 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 possibly at a pre-seed at a seed round, they may not even have any revenue. They might not have mm. any revenue until they're going for a series A. So, you know, that's pretty bad. One other aspect to this was uh investment in web three uh products got a lower share of the of the lower amount going into uh you know early stage uh companies. Web three is a concept that uh you know, is undoubted, it's, it's, it's an unstoppable force, but it is probably a slowed force at this point. Yeah, I think it's basically, I mean, obviously, the, uh, parallel to real world crash, crypto crashes occurred over the last 12 months as well. Um, just checking Bitcoin, I don't think it's anything um, more than 16, 17,000, 17,000 in, in terms of GDP for one Bitcoin, which is... Um, yeah, it's it's basically down from a yearly high, twelve month high of fifty one thousand. So that's a huge slap. Um, and Bitcoin still is the barometer, I think, of crypto. So crypto winter is still here. That's alongside all kinds of doom and gloom as we've seen. Property market potentially going to crash. Um, we've had pension issues. We've had all kinds of things going on. You know, it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding, folks. You know, that's that's the, the mature thing to say, not to be doom and gloom. But it's uh, uh, the good thing is for recruiters, we've always been kind of small enough to kind of be agile and jump around a little bit. Um, and for recruitment tech, it, fundamentally, that's about efficiency. It's fundamentally about trying. It's not about just more and more people being hired. Um, it's about hiring better with less, maybe. And that's where recruitment technology is still, I think, going to be in a strong position uh, because companies will try and rationalize and, and do more with less, essentially. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. And uh, one of the reasons that I think recruitment technology is going to grow faster than other areas of technology is because they were invested in a lot earlier. The amount of venture capital and, and private equity money that went into fintech, martech, uh, health tech, ed tech, and others, even prop tech, like a long time before they went into HR tech. So mm. we're, we, are, we are on a curve, which is like way behind uh, a lot of other industries at this point in terms of digi digitizing. Yeah, so the timing was good, and um, and yeah, basically for recruiters, you just got to play it smart, you know. I, I love the fact some of my friends are starting to move into, uh, I would say, tangible value, tangible product businesses. Um, you know, they're recruiters, but instead of just recruiting for purely web only business, they're getting involved in shipping companies that have a that were trying to digitize and and you know create technology. Uh, more digital solutions, but fundamentally, the company actually runs ships. Um, yep. and I'm thinking stuff like that. That's always going to be there for recruiters. So yep. we'll be in good shape. Okay. Anything else? Was that it? Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I didn't get to read the one about, um, which I will get to, and this is really bad. I'll probably get slated for this if anybody's watching, but um, the Women in the Workplace um, um, content, which was on the Lean In website uh i am gonna absolutely digest that because i think it's really vital reading i didn't get the chance to do it in time for this unfortunately no that's fine it's a big old read uh it's that's what i thought support. um it's worth reading i mean what i took out of it, it from a that, that helps from a recruiting point of view is that uh, women um especially you know i think women leaders but women in general um are leaving companies in pursuit of competitive opportunities that offer better flexibility um, and that tells me, whoa, you know, if you're one of those companies that are still, you know, wanting to re rewind the clock and saying, you know, back to the office type stuff, back to the office mantra is essentially pretty anti-woman, I'm afraid to say. Um, and that's shown by the data and that's shown by the research in this report. Um, so I think that those companies that want to cling on to this, um, which, you know, within your rights to do so, but bear in mind, that's going to have implications in terms of the composition of your workforce um so yeah really worth a read easy not easy reading it's a long old uh, sort of uh, report but uh, worth having a look at okay uh, that's about it uh thank you for watching thanks for joining again adam bring through break fresh we're going to try and keep it at this time although i've noticed that it doesn't fire off on linkedin here's a new discovery by the way adam you might be interested in this you can't post things i think uh, linkedin has a minimum amount of time that it, it requires um before you can post the second thing so i posted the linkedin newsletter at 12 o'clock and we go live on um 12 30 and it doesn't go live on linkedin um wow. so i'm thinking that it's it's basically blocks people from overly sharing and it just presumes you know what maybe per hour you can't you can't share more than one thing per hour which makes sense so i'll investigate that and if so i'll post the this week in recruiting an hour earlier or maybe push this a little bit further into the afternoon i don't know um so peggy thank you very much for your support yeah i think this time is actually perfect um but i've got to figure out when to do the other thing in order not to to, to avoid this all right adam listen you have a good week i'll catch you friday Right. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Have you no, no? Have you spoke to Jeremy? No, but I will do. Can, can you do that? Make sure he's there because I've got his proton email, and I'm thinking, all oh, right, he'll he, he'll is be he actually there. reading that? 
Um, he's the only guest we've got. He's the only guest we've got. Well, I tell you what, we actually don't. We honestly, this was my recommendation to get him on. We don't need anybody else. The amount of information that he's been generating, which all recruiters need to know about, from his time in in a couple of very large organisations doing um, analytics, effectively recruit like uh, recruitment data, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to have him on. Um, my only concern is, is he actually going to show up? Um, <laughs> ping him. All right, listen, I'll he'll, see you he'll be there. Yeah. Cheers. Goodbye, everyone. Excellent, Toby. Glad you're going to be there. Toby, we'll get you on screen if uh, Jeremy isn't there, okay? <laughs>